Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Thursday, August 19th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, Facebook has released a report of their most widely viewed content, but the number one most viewed link on the platform shows how the report isn't exactly proving the point they're trying to make. Plus, are realtors engineering weird listing photos so they'll go viral? And it turns out we've been getting blue moons entirely wrong for at least 40 years. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Partially in response to the regularly documented fact that the posts garnering the most interactions on their platform every day are from biased, sometimes misinformation-laden sources, Facebook announced that it will be publishing quarterly reports showing what content actually gets the most views overall. Therefore, what is seen by the most people, not just interacted with the most. The first of these reports came out yesterday showing public newsfeed content seen by U.S.-based users from April 1st through June 30th. The report includes the top 20 domain sources, link posts, pages, and general posts. Despite the fact that New York Times reporter Kevin Roos's manually-run Twitter account that posts the top-performing link posts in the U.S. on Facebook every single day based on interactions shows folks like Ben Shapiro and Sean Hannity making it into the top 10 nearly every day, neither of them made the cut for top views in Facebook's official report. Roos's data, by the way, comes from Facebook's publicly accessible analytics site, CrowdTangle, so both of these are official numbers, they're just looking at different data sets. The top viewed content across the whole platform hasn't been publicly accessible in this way until this report. But instead of some of the sources that Roos has found are interacted with the most every day, the number one top viewed domain source of all non-Facebook content shared on Facebook, I am very happy to report as someone still mad at Facebook video for reasons too numerous to get into now, was YouTube. The number one domain being linked to on Facebook is YouTube. Others in the top 20 are the usual suspects like Amazon, GoFundMe, TikTok, Twitter, Google Docs, and some news sites like CNN, CBS, and quasi-news sites like the Daily Mail. The most widely viewed Facebook page was UNICEF's, which is nice. Pages like the Dodo, Lad Bible, and again, the Daily Mail also showed up in the top 20 pages. The most widely viewed individual posts were mostly overbaked quadruple screenshotted memes and text posts turned into images from already large pages that had some kind of question or prompt for viewers to engage with. Or as every social media manager knows them, the lowest of the low-hanging fruit that you slap together when your boss wants a post to go viral and you've given up on any of the optimistic creative energy or values you once had. Now, despite some of these posts getting tens of millions of views, Facebook noted in their report that these top 20 posts collectively accounted for less than a tenth of a percent of all U.S. content views during this quarter. And likewise, those top 20 pages collectively only accounted for 0.8% of all content views. And the top 20 domains collectively accounted for only 1.9% of all newsfeed content views. And the point Facebook is trying to make, as they say in the report, is, quote, even though the total number of content viewers who saw these pages was high, there are so many pages and so much content on Facebook that the top 20 can still account for a small fraction of all content views in the newsfeed, end quote. 
I think that's a finely tuned dig at Kevin Roos's Twitter account and many similar critiques to say that even if the top 10 most interacted with link posts every day are from similar and to some concerning sources, they likewise account for a tiny, tiny fraction of overall content and what people overall are interacting with on Facebook. However, this report does not tell the whole story. As The Verge points out, quote, The views Facebook's reports show are the ones for public content. Things shared in private groups or on private profiles aren't included, as Facebook says that would be a violation of privacy. Groups, specifically though, are seen as a large source of misinformation and bad behavior on Facebook, and the company has had to continuously navigate how to enforce existing rules and create new ones to manage them, end quote. You might remember the huge number of groups and pages Facebook took down in the days following January 6th. And Facebook themselves encourages posting to groups as a strategy to increase engagement, and of course also encourages boosting posts, paying to get more eyeballs on posts that you've already put up. But Wired points out that this report excludes any posts that people paid to promote, so that's another quite large chunk of content that we're probably missing here. Ars Technica also points out that the report doesn't include data on straight-up ads, a particularly pernicious influencer in my opinion, and further that the section on the domains is kind of like Facebook passing the buck. Sure, a lot of people are sharing links to YouTube and Twitter, but they have just as many disinformation issues as Facebook, so that's not necessarily a good thing that they're in the top 20, and without saying which pages on those sites were most viewed, we can't know for sure. Overall, most have agreed that this report only paints a partial picture, intentionally so, and doesn't do too much to clean up Facebook's image in the eyes of its critics. And even where it seems just kind of amusing or neutral, there's a seedy underbelly if you know what to look for. So I ran through the broad strokes earlier, but there's one section of the report that I left out. The most viewed links. So this is links to individual URLs, not like the larger domains like YouTube and NBC News that lots of links were collectively pointing towards. These top external links, with tens of millions of views each, are mostly about what you would expect. There's an inspiring quotes website, another one called reppinforchrist.com, a recipe site, a couple of specific UNICEF pages, a single gif of two cats walking together with their tails entwined, a hemp store, and sadly, the email subscribe link to the Epoch Times. But the number one most viewed external link on Facebook in the US this past quarter, the website that was more popular with Facebook users than any other website with 87.2 million views, PlayerAlumniResources.com. You've heard of it, right? Before yesterday? No, of course not. PlayerAlumniResources.com is kind of like an IRL cameo scheme for former Green Bay Packers players. It's a site where you can go to book former players for charity events and speaking engagements, but also just like hanging out with them to play golf or go fishing. How the heck did this website become the top viewed link on US Facebook this spring? Wired dug into the mystery. First, they point out that the Facebook page associated with the Player Alumni Resources website only has 4,100 followers, and its posts don't get that much engagement. But it turns out the source of all that link sharing is not the website's Facebook page, it's the guy who runs the website, former Green Bay Packers kicker Chris Jackie. Quoting Wired, The answer? Memes. 
From his personal account, which has more than 120,000 followers, Jackie posts a steady stream of low-rent viral memes that have nothing to do with the Packers, adding the URL of his business to the top of the post. We're talking the likes of pick one cookie variety to live without, or give yourself a point for each of these that you've done. A post of a meme asking what word people use for soda, or pop if you insist, for example, racked up more than 2 million interactions in June, according to CrowdTangle data. Jackie didn't respond to requests for comment. This seems to be the modus operandi of the other seemingly random members of the Link leaderboard. The hemp store in second place with 72.1 million views? That appears to be the handiwork of Jaleel White, best known for playing Steve Urkel on Family Matters. White, whose page has nearly 1.5 million followers, posts meme after recycled meme, each one graced with a link to a CBD product store. End quote. So again, it's the kind of super low-hanging fruit content that filled up all the top 20 slots for most viewed individual posts, but these ones are spread across entire accounts, helping their websites make it to the top. And quoting further from Wired, it's remarkable that the data Facebook chose to publish, presumably to push back against the perception that it was a far-right cesspool, reveals that the platform is absolutely flooded with crappy meme spam. Remember, Facebook's stated position here is that reach data is more representative than engagement data. By that standard, the new report doesn't exactly paint a picture of a platform rich with enlightened discourse and meaningful interactions. In one sense, these results probably make Facebook look worse than it really is. The fact that 44.2 million users viewed a link to the subscription page for the Epoch Times, a mysterious publication linked to the Chinese Falun Gong movement that has peddled conspiracy theories about the pandemic and the 2020 election, might sound alarming. In fact, the page racked up those views on the strength of posts about cute puppies and babies. Remember, Facebook has shared the cumulative views, not interactions. There's no way to know the exact share of people who clicked through, but given that it's text-only and completely unrelated to the post themselves, the most likely answer is hardly any. End quote. So that's good, I guess, that people aren't clicking, but the amount of dopamine-jolting meme garbage being peddled to lure people into unrelated websites that want their money or want to indoctrinate them is definitely alarming. Overall, again, it's just kind of strange the parameters Facebook set and what they chose to include, but as Wired points out, they probably had to be really specific with the parameters they chose because, quote, as Roos wrote last month, a proposal to make that data public ran into resistance within the company because it also might not make Facebook look so hot. As CrowdTangle CEO Brandon Silverman reportedly put in an internal email, reach leaderboard isn't a total win from a comms point of view. End quote. Yeah, no kidding. And this is the stuff they chose to share. And for those who can do some digging, it's not that great. So what's lurking behind the data they specifically chose not to report? So we've heard a lot about everything buyers are doing to make their offers stand out in the currently high-stakes real estate market, foregoing inspections, paying in cash, adding on season tickets to Lakers games. But for more unique properties, realtors are doing what they can to make waves and attract their target buyers. Goofy photos, custom videos, yes, even realtors are now content creators. I'm not going so far as to say that every weird property that's gone viral this past year on Zillow was intentional, but a few of them definitely were, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of it happening. 
Slate talked to Jonas Elber, a realtor whose listing for a castle-style home in Washington state is catching a lot of attention online because the photos of the four-bedroom, four-bath house heavily feature a knight in period-accurate armor. There's also an entire video narrated by the knight showing him engaging in various activities like slicing oranges with his sword and using the reclining elliptical in the finished basement. There's even a shower scene. Elber told Slate that he decided to bring in the knight for the photo and video shoot because, quote, I'm not convinced that the buyer for this home is local, given the uniqueness of the front elevation, so I just felt a greater need to try to get as much exposure as I can and try to tap into those Renaissance and medieval fans. We're really looking for the Renaissance enthusiasts that either want to have a second home, that's the castle, or it might be worth moving there with the working from home options and stuff like that, end quote. And so far, it's working. In just 24 hours, he's gotten plenty of interest from qualified buyers, and most of them not local. A few of those Renaissance enthusiasts, but also from people thinking they might use the property to host events or rent out as a themed Airbnb. Elber has an established marketing budget for every property he lists, and already had a film crew that he works with, though this was the first time he'd written a humorous script or had to hire an actor with their own hard-to-come-by costume. His niche as a realtor is Otter Properties, so he has to be a little more creative with marketing than your run-of-the-mill realtor, but could more creative staging and strategies to attract attention online beyond the local market be becoming a trend we'll see more of? Especially as the kinds of people with the income to buy homes are the same ones increasingly able to work from home, many of whom are considering moving but don't necessarily have an exact location in mind. A viral property could catch their attention in a town they wouldn't have otherwise been looking into. Elber told Slate, quote, Not every property needs to go viral and get viral exposure in order to sell, but I think that there's going to be a higher demand on realtors to prove their worth through quality marketing with a little bit higher level of production than we saw five years ago, end quote. Realtors are kind of one of the few non-creative careers where you did already have to worry about your personal brand and marketing even before this social media age, but making it less about the trustworthiness of the realtor as a person and more about the properties themselves, making those stand out in funny or creative ways, that could be a new trend. And not always these polished kinds, but maybe the gritty, almost disturbing listings being engineered to attract shock on purpose, the low-rent memes of the real estate world. In any case, check out the link in the show notes to see the photos and videos of the property featuring the night, as well as two older listings from other realtors featuring a Sasquatch and a dinosaur. So this Sunday, the 22nd of August, will be a full moon. And apparently, technically, it's a blue moon, even though it's the first full moon of the month. Because if you were to ask me before today, I would have said that a blue moon is a second full moon within one calendar month. But it turns out that's not the original definition of a blue moon. Space.com explains that it originally referred to the seasons— each season, spring, summer, fall, and winter, there are usually three full moons. Every now and then, you end up with a fourth full moon during one season. The last full moon in a season was typically called the late moon, and so that it could keep its name, it would be the third full moon of the season that became the special one, being called a blue moon. 
So even though we'll have one more full moon this summer season on September 20th, this coming full moon on Sunday is the blue moon. The September one will be the late moon. But how'd we get the more common definition of a blue moon being the second full moon in a month? That is thanks to an accidental oversimplification of the seasonal definition in the March 1946 edition of Sky and Telescope magazine written by a guy named James Hugh Pruitt. He accidentally explained it the way that we know it now, of two moons within one calendar month, and that probably would have been that if it weren't for 34 years later in 1980 when journalist Deborah Bird quoted that old issue of the magazine on her NPR show Stardate. And from there, the calendar definition was repeated by many parties including in a children's almanac and has since become what EarthSky calls modern folklore. Which I like as a descriptor because just because it's kind of based on a misinterpretation, it doesn't have to be wrong. The original definition was in part just because the disorganization threw off the scheduling of church festivals and the church didn't like the number 13 and needed one of the moons to kind of not count. Neither of these definitions has any bearing on science, really. They're just ways that we interpret and talk about objects in the sky. So if you want to call the full moon this Sunday a blue moon, go for it. The next calendar month blue moon won't be until this time next year. There are no calendar blue moons in 2021. And as for both types of blue moons happening in the same year, that won't happen until 2048. Well, that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.